Well, welcome to week two of this series we're calling Dare to Dream. And there are some foundational verses. We're going to look at two Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament stories. That's before Jesus shows up uh, as uh, the, the Son of God in the flesh through Mary. Um, there are some two Old Testament stories that we're going to look at today. But before we do, there are some keystone foundational verses. And, and we're, we're, we're kind of hitching the wagon to these verses. Proverbs 29, 18. If people, say it, say it with me. If people can't see, say it again. If people... Yeah, if they can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Uh, but if they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. This is, this is kind of the, the situation in several people's lives that deal with wanting to do some things, some good things, maybe even some God things. But when we really don't know what he's revealed to us, we may try a lot of things. And then we say, well, God, I thought you did that. And I don't even know if I want to be a part of what this whole God thing. If this didn't, Well, many times people are stumbling all over themselves because they haven't really seen what God wants them to see. And they haven't attended to that thing that he's revealed. That's one of our key scriptures. And then if you fast forward a few thousand years into the book of Acts, as the church is birthed as we know it in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter stands up and quotes from uh, the book of, of Joel, and he says it like this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They, they, will, they will see into the future. Your young men will see visions, uh, things that like what we ought to look like down the road. And your old men will dream dreams. They've got ideas. And, and here, here's what's interesting to me. That, that if God is going to say, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, wouldn't it be like, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit to do some cool stuff and make some neat things happen and accomplish uh, bigger than life, you know, goals? This isn't like doing anything. This is just seeing what he wants us to see. Well, here's the important element. You can't really do what he wants you to do until you see what he wants us to to see. So it's so critical that we truly get a dream from God. This is way beyond bucket lists. Uh, this is way beyond just doing something fun with your life or something productive with your life. God's dreams are always going to intersect with, with changing someone else's lives, doing something for someone else. That may just be your family and God has a dream for your children. I want you to know that's a big old dream. Many times we're waiting for that other dream for our company or for our city or for our finances or for retirement. And we've got dreams running around the house playing hide and go seek. And that's our, that's our God-sized dreams right there of investment into the next generation. We have 450 plus kids today on campus between these two services that are like little dreams going to just pop. Right now they're little like nightmares, okay? I mean, some of you, I don't got a dream. I got God's nightmare. They're living in, you know, in, you know, in, the, in the second bedroom. But God wants you to dream, whatever that dream is, to see it and, and to dream and to have those visions. So last week we started with daring to dream. I, we, we ought to have dreams that are beyond our capacity. You, it's not a God-sized dream unless you, it scares you a little bit, unless you gulp a little bit. It's always going to be beyond your own resources. If it was in your capacity and your resources, it wouldn't be a God-sized dream. It would be a John-sized dream. It would be a Sam-sized dream. It would be a Becky-sized dream. But he always wants us to do something so big. I'm telling you dream big enough to where if he doesn't show up it's destined to fail because once once you show up and you do it and it fails well God wasn't part of it then 
But when God shows up and God is a part of it, and it, it, you look and you say, there's no way that could have happened if it weren't for God. So guess who gets all the credit? God. That's what he's after. He wants, he wants to accomplish big things through you, but he does want to get the credit so that more and more people will bow a knee and attend to what he reveals. Last week, Daring Your Dream. Today, I want to talk to you about really finding a dream. So I've entitled this message, Where's Waldo's Dream? You know the, the old character, Where's Waldo, and the white and, and, and red striped sweatshirt and the blue pants and the big glasses and the hat, and he's all hidden in, the, the, in a big old busy world? Well, that's a lot of us. We're Waldos. Just like in the middle of the busyness, in the craziness, life running at the speed of life, and you got, you got more things to do and, and less time to do it, and you're running crazy. Not only does he want you to find real life and true life and life with meaning, but he wants that life to be full of God-sized dreams. And so we go to the first Old Testament story. It's found in one of the most challenging books of the Bible to say. Not, not necessarily to read, but to say. It's in the book of Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk. Either way you say it, it sounds like the, 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 the mom's like, what's his name going to be? And she sneezed, and they said, oh, his name's Habakkuk. And she's like, no, I wanted it to be Simon. You know, like, but it, but he, he was ended up being Habakkuk. Okay, so the book of Habakkuk, it's a prophet named Habakkuk. And here's the deal. Habakkuk in the Old Testament, they weren't just called prophets. They were called seers. Seers. And they could see things into the future. And they, they were instruments of God in that time, in that day and age, to proclaim what God wanted to do next. And so the whole book of Habakkuk opens up in chapter 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And then in brackets, it, this is really Habakkuk's complaint. Now pause right there. Look at me. This is not, uh, this sounds like a new complaint, but it's not. There are new people today thinking that they've gotten smarter than the church or thinking that this is a new thought. Like, if God is really God, why is all this junk going on in the world? If God was really God, why would there be suffering? Now, people will say that with a genuine heart. But then also, other people will say that with a skeptical heart. Well, God must not be really God because if he, if he was, he wouldn't let those typhoons happen. Or he wouldn't let starvation take place. Or he wouldn't let women get sex trafficked. Like, if God was really God. That thought and that frustration and that challenge of the space between what we wish God would do and what God is doing, that's a, that is a space that we've been living in for thousands of years, and even the prophets dealt with it too. Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? I cry out to you, violence, help, but you don't, you don't save. Why, why, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Sound familiar? Sounds like 2019, not, not you know, 2019 B.C. Look at the nations and watch. No, back up, back up. The conflict abounds. Like he's struggling. He's struggling with this. So what say you, God? Give me an answer. Give me an answer, God. Now, now, now here's here's. The secret that I want to give to you. I want to help some of you that, that maybe you might even struggle with. If God is so good, why is all there so much bad? There are five parts of the story of God that we see in the Bible. Five parts. I'll give them to you in two minutes. The first part of the story is the story of the garden. The garden is where we walk uninterrupted, unintimidated, unashamed 
we walk and we talk face to face with the living God. God in that moment, though, also gives us the privilege, the blessing, and the opportunity to choose to walk with him. He says in one scripture, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but there's this one tree, don't eat. Then the next chapter, the enemy comes in. I'm going to make a whole sermon series on this. He, he, the enemy comes in and says, did God not say you must not eat? See, the enemy says you must not eat. Didn't God say you must not eat? No, that's not actually what God said. What God said at the beginning is you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. See, see, many people are living as though God is all about you can't, you must not, you better not. But actually the first words we hear God say to man is you are free. That's the way God wants you to live. Free. Those are the first three words. You are free. But freedom requires some boundaries. You, you got to have some laws. You got you to have some, some like, you know, a front door to your house. You got to understand the way stuff works. Freedom requires some boundaries. You're free. But the enemy wants to twist that and say, oh, you can't have any fun. You can't do it your way. You can't be you. You can't just run off any emotion that you feel at any time. So the story of the garden is we want to do it ourselves, and there's a separation that takes place. The only way that we begin to come back to God is something has to die. And there is the beginning of sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, to make things right with God. Part two is the story of the nation of Israel, where God begins to form a people group. And he's going to show this people group through the rise of kings and the fall of kings, through the rise of, of, of prosperity and into bondage, through freedom and through captivity. He's going to show them there's nothing really that is like freedom in me. And if you will have no other gods before me, that's your first step to truly knowing who I am. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they do, and then they don't. And then they do, and then they don't. Part two. Part three, God shows his love not just through the garden, not through the nation of Israel, but now Jesus, the son of God in the flesh. And Jesus shows up and now he turns the whole thing around because he becomes the ultimate blood sacrifice. And now we don't have to, it's not about what we do to get close to God because God showed us for thousands of years you could never do enough. Now what you have to do is just receive my son, rest in him, love him, put him first, and then the doing will follow. The doing comes after the knowing. So you know him, you believe in him, and that changes your doing. Religions are built on doing. Jesus built this whole thing on done. Garden, nation of Israel, Jesus dies, resurrects, ascends into heaven, that same day, as he's resurrected, breathes on the disciples, gives them the Holy Spirit, tells them to wait for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and we get into part four, the birth of the church. The church is birth, and we now, you and I, are in the same part of the story as the disciples were in the part of the story, part four, the church. So why is there suffering in the world? Because Jesus isn't walking in the flesh, he's walking in your flesh. The Holy Spirit of God wants to impact the church, that the body of Christ would truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. So why is there suffering? So the body would be, the, would, would, would be care, cared for other people. So the hands and feet would, 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 would say, oh, this is not right. Next week, I'm going to talk about getting a holy discontent in our hearts for what breaks the heart of God ought to break the heart of man. And when those two things happen, life change pours out. 
So we can't be waiting for God to show up and be the body. He has empowered you and I to be the body. So here's what God says. He reminds us of the part of the story we're in by talking to Habakkuk. Here's what God says. Look at the nations and watch Habakkuk. Be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not even believe, even if you were told. Guess what? What? This is what he's going to do. No way. Yahweh. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Yes. I don't believe you. That's the kind of stuff God's wanting to do. But now what, what, what God does is instead of telling him the answer to his complaint, the solution to the issue, he basically just kind of rehashes the current news. He says, as you know, Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. That's the violence Habakkuk's talking about. And notice that this is in Babylonia. This is in Babylon thousands of years ago. This isn't too far away from what 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, and 14 has looked like intensified with ISIS. Because modern-day Babylon is Iran and Iraq. This same thing is going on right now. So guess what? God's still going to look for some people that will step up, rise up, dream God's dreams, and still proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from here to the uttermost parts of the world. So I'm raising up Babylonians. Seize dwellings, not their own. They're a feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. Promote their own honor. Sound familiar? Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Horsemen come from afar, fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. I mean, they're talking about what we've seen in the news over the last couple of years in modern-day Babylon. Their hordes advance like a desert wind. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They, they capture them. So here's, here, here's where if I'm Habakkuk, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. But like, when are you going to do something? So here's the key that we partner. We are in a partnership with God. God doesn't just solve it on his own. He invites Habakkuk into the story. So I want to give you some practical advice today on how to find a dream, how to find Waldo's dream. First step, we see Habakkuk respond to this vision. So Habakkuk says, I'm going to climb up into my watchtower. He had to change his perspective. He had to, to change the scene. He had to, he, here's how, what he had to do. Number one on your notes, he had to withdraw. He had to get away from the crazy pace that he was living and take some time away and gain a new perspective. I wish I had time to do that. Look, you got 168 hours. I got 168 hours. The President of the United States got 168 hours. The most effective people you've ever seen in your life, how do they get all that done? They got 168 hours just like you. It's not about adding more time. It's not about making more time. It's making the most of your time. And one of the best things you could ever do to really get God's heart is withdraw from the day-to-day -day hamster wheel. To take some time, take some time, tog days. Or a tog time, T-A-W-G, you can write that in parentheses, T-A-W-G, talk time alone with God. Every once in a while, I got I to gotta say time alone with God, time away from Janet, time away from the kids. And they're like, it's time for a tog day, goodbye. <laughs> like, they're glad to let me go. And just take an hour or two, just walk the neighborhood, weekly, monthly, quarterly, get, get a, a little bit different time and really get away and withdraw. Listen. This is what Jesus did. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 5, we read, 
Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like he, he had enough foresight that he wanted to get the heart of his father. In fact, in John, he says, I don't do anything that my father doesn't tell me to do or tells me to do. Like if he tells me to do it, I do it. If he doesn't tell me to do it, I don't do it. I'm not out here just kind of, you know, walking, doing my own thing every once in a while. You know, what's up, big papa? Like, like I am connected with my dad. I'm connected with my father. And Jesus had to even take that time to withdraw. Habakkuk says, I will climb up into my watchtower and I will wait. Pause. All right, let's go Zach, Zach on uh, Saved by the Bell here. Time out. Hunters, this is a great scripture for you. When you're out at the deer lease and your wife's like, you don't need to be out there all that time. You're like, woman, Habakkuk chapter 2. I will climb up into the watchtower and I will wait. And she's like, that is eisegesis. That is taking the scripture out of context, you idiot. But oh, bless God, I'm all claim that scripture and get my buck. Moving on. I will climb up into the watchtower and I will, number two, wait. Not only do I need to withdraw, but I've got to wait. You know, they that wait on the Lord, when you feel like you are out of strength, it sounds so countercultural. You're out of strength. You don't know what to do. Culture says hurry and scurry and figure it out. God says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. In other words, you'll be able to see You'll be able to see what other people can't see. You'll be able to rise above what's keeping you roadblocked. They'll run and not be weary. Like, like there'll be stamina. You'll walk and not faint. Like you're, you're able to, no matter what pace, you, you, you know where your strength is coming from. They that wait on the Lord. King David said it like this. He's a king. He's got a busy schedule. My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. You know what you got to do to yourself sometimes? You got to do some self-talk. Every single one of you are good at negative self-talk. Yeah, you idiot. I can't believe you let that happen. Why are you doing that? Like when we look through a shame lens and a performance lens instead of God's lens for our life, we can do some real damage by negative self-talk all the time. But there are other things that you got to talk to yourself. You got to say, soul, step it up. Soul, I know you're wanting to run this way and that, hither and yon, as the Bible would say. Where are you going, son? Hither and yon. Oh, bless God. He's still running in circles. He just sounds more biblical. When you're going this way and that way and people are pulling you in every direction, you got to tell your soul, hang out, soul. Sit quietly, soul. Shut up, soul. Be quiet, soul. My soul, wait silently for God because that's where my expectations should come. Some of you are trying to fulfill expectations of a dad, of a mom, of a job, of a marriage, of a failed relationship, of something that somebody said to you years ago. And those are not the expectations you need to be living by. You need to be living by the expectations of God, but the only way you're ever going to get the expectations of God is just if you unbuckle from all these other expectations you're putting on yourself in this performance-driven culture, in this shame lens that we tend to look at and say, I'll never mount up, or I never could do it, or God will never. And you got to push that away and say, soul, I'm going to wait silently on you because you know the plans you have for me. As I was being knit together in my mother's womb, you knew me, had plans for me, designs, blueprints prints for what I might do as I see clearly and attend to what you reveal. That's what we've got to do. That's, that's good. Good for three of you. Three of you clapping. That's good. That's good. It's all right. It's too late now. Too late. 
Look, look at this. Write this down. Waiting equals becoming. See, waiting usually equals frustration. Waiting usually equals drifting. Waiting usually equals apathy. The longer we wait, we get apathetic. The longer we wait, we just drift from Jesus. The longer we wait, the more maybe critical we get. Uh, the, the, the less we trust, the more we become suspicious, the longer we have to wait on God. But waiting equals becoming. Jesus showed it. Jesus showed us. I mean, what example? We, we read about Jesus when he's birthed and put in a manger. We read about Jesus for a moment when he's two and he's, and he's taken a dream, that, God's dream that, that is given to Joseph to flee because mass genocide was coming to Bethlehem. They pick up their family in the middle of the night and they scurry over to Egypt. And there they wait for, for God's clear voice to come back. Then, 10 years later, we get a glimpse that Jesus uh, meandered away from his family as they were all hanging out at Six Flags. He went over to the temple across the street, and he's teaching, and Mary and Joseph are flipping out, running through Six Flags, trying to find Joseph. They finally find him, and he's like teaching, you know. He's teaching in the temple, and Mary grabs, you know, the Messiah by the ear. You made me sick. I was worried sick about you. I love you. Let me kiss you, but now let me spank you. You know, you know how it is, moms and dads. I'm going to beat you senseless, but I'm so glad I found you. And Jesus says, I got to be about my father's business. 18 years go by until we see Jesus come out of anonymity. I wonder at 16 if he's walking by someone who's blind. Help. Can you help me? I'm blind. And I wonder if Jesus in his own understanding of becoming who he was is the completely divine and completely human. I wonder if he said, God is now, Father, is now the time. Oh, I want to heal. I want to, I want to make him see. And his father says, not yet. Wait. Just wait. And he walks into a room, a crowded room, with his mom and his dad. And he sees, he's putting some cabinets in a kitchen. And one of the children are in a wheelchair. And as he's putting the cabinets up, he notices, he says, Dad, is it time? Is it time yet? Just wait, son. Just wait. Waiting equals becoming. Jesus grew in stature with God and with man. And you've got to embrace the wait. You've got to embrace the waiting. Can I tell you something else about this? Hurry is the enemy to prayer. When you can't wait on God, it breaks down your prayer life. It is an enemy. It, it is a smart bomb. It's a, it's a, it, it is a drone attack on your prayer life when you can't just wait because you're so hurried all the time. Well, no wonder you're stumbling all over yourself. You're not attending to what he reveals because you haven't had time to see what he wants to show you. But here's the deal. The more I pray, the more I wait and the more I pray, the clearer I become and the more effective my hours of work actually are. It's amazing. The more time you take in praying and waiting, the stronger you can become. Now, listen, don't be late to work because you're praying, okay? Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't be an idiot. Like, be on time. Christians ought to be the best employees an employer ever has. Ought to be on time. Ought to never cheat. Ought to ever steal. Ought never to lie. Ought to tell the truth. Ought to be the best leaders in the organization. But you also better take some time and wait and pray. Because here's what the hurry is the enemy to prayer and clarity. When you're hurrying up and you haven't really heard from God, it's amazing how things can get cloudy. A lot of churches doing a lot of great things. Do you know we don't do just a whole lot of things around here? I mean, we have ideas for programs given to us every single week. 
we ought to start this. That church does that. We ought to do this. What if we added this? What if we started this? And I want to tell you something. The more and more and more and more we do, the less clear we become. So we're going to be really about four things. We want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom. Best way we find freedom is by really getting together and living life together. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. That's really freedom. Discover purpose in God and make a difference. Those are the, the four things we're willing to die on. Know God, we're going to have services. Find freedom, we're going to have groups and different experiences like Encounter that will start up in a few weeks. We're going to have Discover Purpose, which is our starting point and grow track process. And make a difference. Dream teams. Pretty simple. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to add a whole bunch to it. If you say, I got this great idea for ministry restart. Well, make it a group. Make a difference. You can be the lead dream teamer on it. You do it. Well, Pastor, I really thought that you should do it. I'm not going to carry your dream. God has your dream. So you see, don't, don't make your dream my dream. Let me have my dream. You have your dream. If you start dreaming my dream, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. If I start dreaming your dream, I'm going to be disappointed. So let's all dream God's dream together for what he has for the body of Christ because it is tailored to fit who you are. Amen? So I got I to keep rolling because I got two stories today. Here we go. I'll climb up into the watchtower. I'm going to wait. I'm going to look to see what the Lord will say. You ever got tongue, tongue twisted? You ever say something and you didn't really mean what you said? Like if you ever said, I'll be right there. I just got to comb my teeth. Anybody ever said that? Instead of brush your teeth, I got to comb my teeth. Some of you need to comb your teeth. I've seen them. <laughs> comb your tooth. <laughs> oh, Sorry. That's a better joke in Arkansas, because <laughs> everybody's like, hey, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know why they never did a CSI Little Rock? No dental records. <laughs> okay. Like, it was great. Anyway. Sorry, anybody watching from, from, from good old Arkansas. My family's from Arkansas. So we don't have a family tree. We have like a family bush. <laughs> okay. Dear Lord, I'm off track. I got to get back on. No, here's what I'm saying. Don't you think that, that, and I will look to see what the Lord will say. Wouldn't it make more sense if Habakkuk said, and I will listen to hear what the Lord will say. Or better sense that I will look to see what the Lord will show me. It's like he got it messed up here. This is for you and for me. Here it is. He doesn't really need to show you a whole bunch more things. He said so much already. You got to read God's word. Reading God's word is a way we look to see what he will say. We look to see what he's already said. Now, I, uh, look, look, I'm, I'm not getting on to anybody, but just hear me. I hear so often as a pastor, I'm just waiting for God's voice. I'm waiting to hear what he wants to say. And I want to say this in love. You, some of you got to stop listening for a voice, and you got to start looking for a verse. Because you're, you, you, God's already spoken. He's like, you know, parents, he's like, I've already told you three times, don't make me say it again, bless God. Like the scriptures are like his voice to us, his breathed Word And there's so many things that he's already said, do, that the church ought to be about. Instead of just waiting for something new, let's get back to looking to see what he's already said. And here's what happens. The Lord gave Habakkuk this answer. Here's what, here's what the Lord says. He gave it to him, and then he said, write down what I reveal to you, 
so you can read it with a glance. Here are the last two elements of the practical side. Write down what he's saying. If you'll withdraw, if you'll wait, if you'll read God's word, when you begin to hear him nudge or you read a scripture and it goes, oh, that's me. Oh, that's my city. Oh, that's my, that's my son. Oh, that's my office. Oh, that's my boss. Oh, that's my wife. Oh, that's, my, that's what I'm going through. And you write down what you feel God may be saying to you. Write it down. And then review it. Go back to it. Don't write it on the back of a Wrigley Spearmint gum foil wrapper. Like write it somewhere substantial. Put it on a post-it and put it on your mirror. See it every day when you look in the mirror. You, you, for me, a, a game changer, this is just practical. Uh, a game changer for me and getting more stuff done, accomplishing more by doing less and being more focused is when I started using a written planner. It's called the, the Full Focus Planner. And if you're interested in just dipping your toe in the water, I get no sales kickback by this. But this is just something that's helped me, and I think it'll help you. You can go to fullfocusplanner.com after church. Not right now. Put your phone down. You can go to fullfocusplanner.com. And this planner, you, you sign up for it. It sends you a new one quarterly. It, it's based on quarters. You can place this for your goals. You can review them, a weekend up. I'm telling you, so many tools that you can see and do nothing with or you can leverage. And I'm telling you, it's been a game changer for my family. It's been a game changer for my personal leadership. It's been a game changer uh, leaders that have like an administrative assistant that works alongside you. My admin works from that same pattern uh, with this free focus planner and... It is like horsepower has increased uh, exponentially in my office because of, of this, this togetherness on the full focus planner. But this, this isn't even in the Bible. This is just statistic, statistically proven. You can be 42% more likely to accomplish your goals than the person sitting next to you if you'll simply write them down and review them. That's not even God. That's like, duh. That's like, just do it, okay? Write it and review it. Now, why am I saying all this? What does this have to do? Because this really, it's, it's about the prayer I have for this church. I want us to be a church that is dreaming big dreams, that rallies around God's dream for this particular body, but inside this dream, it, it's like a nesting table or a nesting doll, like a Russian doll, where inside the big doll, you open it up and there's another doll, and then you open it up and there's another doll. It's like all these little, it's a little creepy, but it's, it's, it's Russian doll, nesting dolls. I believe God has a big old dream for this church, but within that dream are other dreams that you're supposed to dream. That, yeah, you might be a part of what God is doing at Timber Creek Church, but, but God is also using this church to empower you to do a dream that's even outside this church, that you're doing your own thing over here, but you're just being the hands and feet of Jesus because that's the way the church ought to be. So here's the prayer I'm praying. It's not an original prayer. It's a prayer spoken by Paul. Uh, in the book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesus, he says, I keep asking the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that, they would give, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom is that you would know things that you, you wouldn't normally know because you've gotten closer to God. That you, Revelation is, is, is that you would see things you wouldn't normally see. So wisdom... Know what you wouldn't normally know. Revelation, you would see what you don't normally see. So that what? So that what? Well, 
so that, you know, we can do a lot of things, so that we can accomplish our bucket list, so that we can get that dream that we've been waiting on. No, here's the whole reason. This is the primary reason why you ought to be, uh, that I'm praying for you. This is, the, this is the linchpin. Before you even get God's dream, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The more you know him, the more you trust him. And the more you know him, the more he trusts you. The more you know him, the bigger you dream. The more he knows you, because you've spent time with him, the more he knows you. But the more that you allow yourself to be known, the more he can trust you with. I keep asking that the God of, of, of Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you this thing. He also says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of your heart be enlightened. See, look. Seeing with your eyes, well, that's duh, that's, that's eyesight. That's eyesight. If you, if you have at least one good one, you, you, you've got eyesight. All you need is, is breathe and open your eyes. But, but that your heart eyes would be opened. When you're seeing with your heart, you know what that is? That's, that's insight. And the more you know God, you're not just seeing the external of what's happening. You're seeing him with your eyes of your heart. And he's giving you insight to see a situation and you see it differently than, than other people. How did you know to do that at work? Boy, why did you take time to think that through like that? Because God doesn't just want you to dream big dreams for the church. Like, he's got big dreams for your business, big dreams for you, big dreams for your leadership. And the more you know him, the more he'll give you insight into things that other people don't have. That's the way the Spirit of knowledge and discernment works. He wants, to, he wants to give you those things. That's when you're living a blessed life. So now we, we, we push beyond Habakkuk and we go to this other story. And that was practical help. You don't even have to know Jesus to like, you know, get away, withdraw, wait, read something, write and review. And you can accomplish some good goals. You can do that. You don't even have to know Jesus. But if you're a Christ follower and you want God's dream for your life, you need to follow suit with what the word says. But now let me just, I hope to not just give you practical help, but I want to finish by, by inspiring you to see what God wants you to see. And there's this story in the book of 2 Kings. There's been civil war in the nation of Israel, and they've split. Much like we had civil war, and it was the north and the south, we thankfully were able to bond back together and become the United States of America. But Israel went through that same issue and there was crazy civil war and they didn't bind back together for a long, 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 long time. And so what you have is you have the northern kingdom of Israel and you have the southern kingdom called Judah. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And then around them were all kinds of enemies. You had Philistia. You had Gath, you had Moab, uh, you had Edom. Now, Edom was the Edomites, and they were an ally, okay? Like Canada's an ally, like, like someone would be an ally to the United States. They, they have an ally in the Edomites. And they, the Moabites down here south, they're attacking all of them at once. They're a, a force to be reckoned with, and they're going to take world war as the, as the world they know it, because it's a pretty small world at the time, they're going to go world war on the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, on the Edomites, you name it, the termites. They're going to get them, okay? So here's what, they do. here's what they do. King of Israel gets on the red phone to the king of Judah. King of Judah gets on the red phone to the king of Edom. 
And they say, let's gather together. Let's get God in on this. You think God ought to bind us together? They say, yes, let's go. Let's ride. They go, and they're in. And this is where we pick up the story. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. Now, after a roundabout march of seven days, <laughs> this is hilarious, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them, like they weren't prepared. But notice something. Does this sound familiar, a roundabout march of seven days? Anybody that you went to vacation Bible school or went to Sunday school or heard a message from here about there, there's this place called Jericho. In order for the Israelites to come out of the wilderness and take the promised land, they first march around the biggest city, a huge fortified city, and they march around seven days, once a day for seven, six days. Then the seventh day, they march around seven times, and then they, they blow their bugles and their trumpets and their saxophones. <laughs> and the whole walls fall down. It is a miracle of God. Can I just say something to you? One of the greatest obstacles holding people back to dream what God wants them to dream next are people hanging on to an old dream or an old system or an old method. And see, God is a God of creative variations he may make you march around the, the building that time, but the next time he may make you just, you know, knock on the front door. Or like Moses, he's out on the backside of the desert and there's a burning bush and in the burning bush, Moses. And he's like, <laughs> but man, if that happened in modern day, you know what the church of today would be doing? We'd be lighting bushes on fire out there saying, speak God, speak, speak God. The fire, the, the fire department be coming, putting out our bushes. Like just because, just because, like you know, Elijah added uh, flour to the to the poison pot, doesn't mean you ought to go, you know, sprinkling flour on people down at the altar. Oh, bless God, we're gonna add the flour. <laughs> and you, man, you laugh, but like church has done some stupid stuff, dumb stuff. God's a God of creative variations and he has different methods and so yeah they're frustrated yeah they run out of water you know why because they thought that God was just gonna they won't march around Moab and the whole thing was gonna come in because they didn't take time to probably withdraw wait read God's word write it down and review it they probably just assumed that God was gonna like you know will blow this trumpet in Zion Zion sound the alarm on God's holy mountain and then it's all gonna come crumbling down and now they're out of water now they're in a pickle. Now they're in a frustration piece here. And so here's what happens. What? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Say what? I love the Bible. You ought to read it. It's, it's, it's interesting. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? What? Have you ever walked in with your kids and they've done something stupid and that's all you can say? What? What? That's what the king is doing. The king of Israel, like, why in the world, why did we come out here with not enough water? Who's the, who is in charge of packing all the water here? And somebody goes, it was that guy over there, Mephibosheth, it was over there. And they're like, and the king's like, kill him. <laughs> all right, but Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, that's the name of the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat asked, hey, 
king of Israel, is there no prophet of the Lord here that maybe we could inquire the Lord through him? Listen to me. Look at me. The world's going to try and do it on their own all the time. But when they run out of water, they're going to look for somebody. That's why we need to be people full of the Spirit of God. Because people are they're thirsty. They're trying to get quenched in a lot of different ways. But there's going to come a time where even the people that don't really know what to do are going to say, what, what do you think God would say about this? And that's your opportunity. Jehoshaphat says, is there not like a prophet or something? But an officer of the king of Israel answered, well, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. See, the king of Israel and the prophet in the northern part of Israel, they had a, they, they, the king uh, turned a cold shoulder to Elisha. And he went to do his own thing and set up his own pagan idols. It was a total mess of a situation in the northern king. He had turned a cold shoulder to the prophet that God had sent him. And so wasn't it a shame that the king doesn't know who the prophet is? Just an officer there has to say, well, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is, is here. By the way, some of you don't know, but this is the origin of your mama jokes. When Elisha was growing up, when Elisha was growing up on the playground, um, bullies would say, your mama Shaphat. <laughs> I, that's terrible. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I came up with that on my own. I know you can tell. This morning, this morning, and I went into the bathroom and I said, Janet, and she's like putting mascara on. I said, Janet, Elisha grew up on the playground and kids are like, yo, mama, shave fat. <laughs> and, and, and literally, without even moving, she's like, you've said better. <laughs> Don't use that. <laughs> well, I used it, bless God. I will climb the watchtower, <laughs> and I will wait. Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they went down to Elisha. They went down to see him. Now, can you imagine? Elisha, there's already tension between him and the king of Israel, and he sees him coming. And Elisha, like, he's not like, oh, blessings upon you. Be our guest, be our guest. No, no. Elisha walks out with a toothpick hanging out of his mouth, takes it, throws it, spits in the spittoon, and says, what? Basically, here's what Elisha says. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? You go to the prophets of your father and your prophets of your mother, Shaphat. But here's the response. Here's the response from the northern king. He says, no, 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 no. It was the Lord who called us three kings together. Surely you can see beyond my lack. And for the sake of these other guys, I'm not alone. This isn't just me. We're all together. We, we need your help. And here's how Elisha responds. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah... I would not look at you or even notice you. There are two things I just want to say to you. There are some relationships God is going to close the door on. But there's also other relationships that you need to be saddled up with. You, gotta, you, you need to saddle up and ride with the right people. It's amazing when you will saddle up and ride with the right people, how even if you don't have influence, how God will 
will give you influence based on those that you ride with. So Elisha says, I don't really even want to see your face. But because you're with Jehoshaphat and because I want to hear from the Lord, here's what we're going to do. And the very next thing he says is this, bring me a harpist. <laughs> what? What? Bring me a harpist. Bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Pastor Cody, so good at the keys. Pastor, would you just play something for me? Um, I hope you understand that when we have song service here, the first part of our worship experience, we're doing way more than singing songs. We use music, but, but there's a different element. This isn't just music. This is inviting the presence of Jesus into the house. And I'm telling you, there's just something about worship as unto the Lord, music as unto the Lord, that changes the atmosphere in a room. I don't know. You can already tell. There's, there's already a different feel in the room just with the music. Stop, stop playing. <laughs> and then it's gone. It's gone. It's, just, it's done. Okay, go ahead. There's something about the hand of God and creating an atmosphere where the hand of God would be on your life. Stop. God sees you and he loves you. You'll never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to God. And he has big plans for you if you will lean in and trust him. Okay, play. God sees you. And you will never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to God. And he has plans for you and he has dreams for you. Do you I, it's not just for the Academy Awards speech givers to go off the stage early where we have music in the background. There's something about creating a presence where God wants to speak in it. And that's what this is right here. So you, you write it down. God's dreams are birthed in God's presence. You will not get a God dream outside his presence. He wants you to, he wants you to get in, let his hand be upon you, fill the room. And, and look, look, everybody. Look, look, right, right, right here. If you, have, if you have access to it, you can get it for free. Um, you can go to Spotify, and you can get it free. You, got, you have commercials and things, and it's really awesome in the middle of the presence of the Lord. It's like, get a truck right now from Southern Chrysler Dodge Jeep. You know, in the middle of it, it's like, oh, your presence. Ooh, I want a truck right now. You know, but, but if you pay for the subscription, you lose the commercials. But here, whether you pay for it or not, if you go to Timber Creek Church 1, if that's what you search, Timber Creek Church 1, hours and hours of the, of the worship music we play in the lobby, out in the parking lot, we play during worship, you have access to all of those songs. We even got like, you know, some of the fun songs we do when we do like a Splash Kingdom night or whatever, but you can go to Timber Creek Church 1. If you don't have access, you can take a camera picture of the QR code in your worship guide there and that can take you to our Spotify playlist. And I invite you, if you don't have anything else you're listening to, set the tone before the kids go to school. Set the tone in the morning around the kitchen table. Set the tone in your car on the way 
to work. Set your tone in your air on your AirPods or your, your headphones when you're walking here or walking there or working at Planet Fitness or you name it. Like, set the tone to allow the hand of God to birth his dreams in the middle of his presence. That's the first thing he says. Bring me a harpist. I, I'm going to get in the presence of God. I want to hear from God. The next thing Elisha said, now this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. What? They came needing water. They needed water. Like, where's the water? Ditches are for holding water. Why are you having us dig ditches? We got no water to put in the, you know, ditches. Here, write it down. God's dreams move from inspiration to participation. There is always a divine partnership where when you dream, it's time to wake up and act. And there are going to be times where you have to act before you even see what's next. Before there was rain, Noah built the ark. Before there was a rescue from the fiery furnace, before they, before they knew what God would do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood tall in the midst of cultural persecution. And when the king says, everybody bow down to this gold statue idol, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know what was next, but they weren't going to stand. And in faith, they participated, and they dreamed the dream God dreamt for them. And just a few moments later, the angel of the living God, Jesus in Jesus, a theophany of, of Jesus, he shows up in the middle of the fire and he's there with them. But before they ever saw the miracle, they had to participate. God is always looking for you to participate in the divine nature of who he is. And Elijah, Elisha goes on to say, for this is what the Lord says, you're, you're going to see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water and your cattle and your other animals will drink now if it's me i'm saying that's hard to believe i want to believe it but i'm not going to see wind nor rain what about even can i see a cloud am i going to hear some distant thunder am i am i going to just like anything but elisha finishes it by saying this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord if you will start seeing with insight the eyes of your heart the eyes of God through you for you on behalf of you empowering others around you big old dreams you have yeah seems crazy nothing nothing in the eyes of the Lord so in the meantime stay faithful because number three God's dreams continue regardless of what is seen you know what we've done we spent millions of dollars in Nacogdoches before we even received an offering over there you know why because the same way Peter says to Jesus, because you say so, we fished all night. It's been 14-hour uh, fishing out here. We've already cleaned our nets. But because you say so, we're going to cast the nets out because we want to attend to what you reveal. We can't see. We've been stumbling all over ourselves. We've been fishing all night and haven't even caught a minnow. 
But because you say we're going to attend to what you have revealed, and they cast the nets, and the fish were stirred, and the nets were full, and I'm believing in Jesus' mighty name that Duncan and Dieball and the prisons to come, Iglesia Timber Creek, and Nacogdoches, and I believe God's going to take us all the way over to Athens, and he's going to take us into Tyler, and he's going to take us down south into Livingston, and he, we're going to cast some nets. We don't even know where the fish are, but God has called us to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow him and that's what we're going to do together but in the same way God has something for you too all locations would you close your eyes and pray with me God's greatest dream for your life is not what you would ever do for him God's greatest dream for your life is that you would believe in him. That you would believe he is who he says he is. That he did what he said he did. That he's going to do what he said he would do. And if you're here today, and maybe you're like Waldo, and you've been lost in a picture of busyness, and maybe even Jesus, it's like you've drifted. But today you say, I want to dream God's dream again. Or for the first time, you don't have to get all of these things figured out in your life. You just start by believing he is who he says he is. And in your own words, you just say, Jesus, be my savior. Give me a second chance. Maybe a fifth chance. I've drifted. I've never invited you to truly be my savior in this. So here's what I do today, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. I don't want to see with my own eyes. I want to see with your eyes. I want to attend to what you reveal. And you have revealed that I can be a son or a daughter to you. And that's what I want today. Be my Savior. Be the center of my life. And God, as I get close to you, will you help me dream big dreams that you would put in my life, for my life, and on behalf of others? God, I pray for the dreams that are being birthed, that we would withdraw, we would hear, we would read your word. And by this time in 2020, we will look back and say, whoa, wow, what? God, look at all you did. But it starts with us seeing what you see. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody at every location said a big amen.